We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Love Is Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome from the uh, author of Love Is, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. Hi, Neil. I'm doing great. And yes, I am so excited about Gigi Orsello. She has been acting since she was two and a half years old. Two and a half years old. Can you imagine? And has been in commercials and films on TV and done so many things. Has three beautiful daughters, a dog named Betty Boo of all. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and just graduated um, at, with the highest distinction, right, from college, uh, summa cum laude, which is amazing. And Gigi, you're beautiful and wonderful. And I am so excited to talk to you, Running the Bases. What a great movie. And so welcome. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys today. So uh, I love Running the Bases. Oh, what, good. What a great movie. <laughs> and you are so incredible in it. I loved Family thank Camp too, by the way. Oh, thanks. Character in this one. Yeah. But, uh, what a great character. I mean, the way marriage is portrayed, the way women are yeah. portrayed, like what, what did you, when, when I was, when I first met the directors and writers of the film, um, Marty Roberts and Jimmy Womble, they, as they described this character to me, they said, we want to see strong women portrayed on the screen. Um, and you'll notice that with the, the mom, the mother character, Mama D. Uh, they wanted to show women who are strong, supportive wives and mothers and aren't just kind of like there on the side, you know, because we have such an important role um, in not only our, our husband's um, visions and their, their callings, but like for the whole family, the, the greater stretch of it all. And I think that they wanted to portray the fact that um, a strong marriage really can, uh, make a difference in, in, so in your, in your calling. So I love that they, they put those scenes in there where she is basically saying, no, you are going to stick to what God has told you to do. And, and she sharpens him to make him, um, make him better. So, yeah, I, I love this role so much. You know, you know, Gigi, what's interesting when you talk about this is that the fact is that it's so important to have a good woman by your side. If you don't have, you don't have a right life partner with you or be with somebody in the right way, you're not going to really transform yourself to be the pure person that you need to be. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that this movie is such a great example to show that sometimes we are weak in our own, you know, in our own strength and we need people, wives, friends, community to say, I will stand there with you. I will fight with you. I will help you, you know, hold you up when you're weak. And, and uh, of course with the Lord's help, but I do, I just, I love the, the picture of uh, two is stronger than one and three is the most powerful, right? Three, the, the, right. three, the three chord. Yeah, you know, there's a scene that I think uh, was so good, but I, I wonder how many people really paid attention to it enough. And that's when you decided to move to Texas. Oh, yeah. Because that was a big thing. Your son was a, the character is a junior, going to be a junior yes. in high school. 
I mean, that's hard for a kid. You know, you've, yeah. you, you were where you grew up and all of that. And yet the way the scene played out was just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I think um, when her first reaction is, no way am I doing that? <laughs> You're crazy. And then when he tells her that he feels that it's like, that God has been speaking to him about this, the fact that she respects that, she respects the, the fact that he has a stirring in his spirit to do something. Um, it just shows you the relationship they, they have had and the fact that they've been friends for so long and then, you know, in, in marriage for so long, the fact that, they, that she says, if God is telling you, he's telling me, you know? So yeah, I love it. I love that scene. Absolutely. And what do you think you learned most from doing this film? Oh, what I learned most from doing this film. Well, I think uh, the thing that I have learned most is just that when one person stands up, it really can make a ginormous difference because the ripple effect um, can be so huge, right? When one person says, this is what God's called me to do, you never know the impact that it's going to have. And I think that even just in the filmmaking, um, the directors came up against so many, um, so many issues to say, no, it's too much, Jesus. This is too strong of a message. There's too much prayer. There's too much this. Um, and even to get funding for it or to get distribution for it. But they just kept saying, no, this is what God has called us to do. And we're going to do it. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun, like, symbol of what they went through the actual film of saying, no, this is what God has called me to do and I'm going to do it. And then to see how it affects one of my favorite scenes is, um, you know, in the kitchen, I say, this whole town is watching you. They're watching you to see what you do. And he doesn't really think about that. He's like, no, I'm just doing this thing. And then my favorite scene is when he sits at that ball game and he sees the little boy start to run the bases and he realizes people are watching and I am making a difference and they are going, why is he doing that? Why should I do it? And then I just love that. I love that little piece. Oh my gosh. I love that little piece too. I cried. I cried yeah. most of the movie. It's uh, it is a movie that you definitely want a box of Kleenex nearby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so good. And um, I also love when uh, the turned around baseball cap, oh, the, the, the younger you, but yeah. you know, like some of the scenes, the older you, I thought, gosh, you should have a baseball cap on now because you'd yeah. be turning it around. Right. You have to say, and just kind of hammering the points home, but not just a wife, but also a mother. Yeah. And, you know, and mother. One of, another wonderful scene that I really love is, um, you know, one of the kids in one of the players has a, uh, has a mom who has died um, and he's really struggling. And the fact that she gets to have a sweet impact on these kids as well, these kids in her community, because I remember when I was a kid, my mom did that for my neighborhood friends and my school friends and friends who were dealing with abuse at home or dealing with whatever, they came to my mom because she was the safe place because she showed them kindness, you know? And so I loved in that scene, I was thinking about 
how my mom did that for my friends. So yeah, I love that. And, and women really do have so much power for a community, for our kids, friends, for, you know, just the whole community. So, yeah. It's such yeah, great stuff. Go ahead, Kim. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that's so true. And, you know, the, the one thing that I wanted was the home that everybody would come to, that all yeah. the friends would feel welcome. And that is what you portrayed in the movie, having the sleepover and grilling out and having the boys over. Because the relationship wasn't a typical, maybe, well, I don't know. It was, it was such a deep relationship coach with the kids mm -hmm. and it had such a bigger impact his whole goal your husband in the movie's whole goal was so much more than teaching baseball yeah yeah for sure and mm -hmm. I and I think that teams and coaches have really loved to have loved to bring their their kids to this as as you know an entire either baseball team or football team or soccer team to say this is, it is more about more than winning. It's about how we can strengthen each other, how we can be better people, better men, better players. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's so many different totally, little messages. Totally. I film. think sports brings such community and yes. the community because there's the community of the players, the parents, everyone together, all together. And if it's the right message in sports and where it's, it is competitive, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's about friendships and relationships and learning how yes. to lose, learning how to uh, get along with others. Sports really, people who play sports really can get that angle. And it's good that this yes. involve baseball to put that out there because it's showing, hey, if we're not doing these things, we're not doing the right thing, running our baseball organization or doing different things. If you're not having the results like the story tells. Right. Yeah. There, sports really, it, it, team sports has so many life lessons and especially like the coach. I, I have so much admiration for coaches that, you know, they, they don't usually make a ton of money and they really, a lot of them do do it for um, the love of, of teaching kids how to be, you know, better adults. Yeah. So true. So true. I coached for years and Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a funny thing with God. It's like, you think you're giving, but you can never be out given, right? With yes. the things that you do, you can just never be out given. So as a mom yourself with your three beautiful, beautiful daughters. Oh, thank you. Uh, what, what did you see uh, with the movie? Was there any mom thing that came out that, that you use at home or that's part of you? Sorry, you, you cut out just a tiny bit. Can you re repeat what you said? Yeah, so is there a mom thing, you know, something as a mom that, that you use in the movie that you bring home or that you use at home that you brought to the movie? Oh my goodness. I think motherhood has changed my acting so much just because I can, it, it, motherhood is the well of emotion. You know, it's like, you can feel frustration and you can feel anxiety and fear and you can feel love and you can feel all these deep emotions that it's brought out in me to be able to bring to screen. I have seen like such a difference in, in what I'm able to bring emotionally since being a mom. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I love to bring my girls to set. I love for them to get to see what mom does when she's gone and to see that it's, it is more than just going 
and, you know, being in a scene and doing it, it is a community even on a film set. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's so fun because, you know, on these faith-based productions, there are a lot of believers, but there are also plenty of crew that are not. And I always love to get to set and go, God, who, who am I here for? <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, we all, we still sharpen each other as believers, but it's fun to go, oh, have a conversation on set and go, oh, this is one of the reasons I'm here, you know? And so kind of getting to have them experience that and, and them to go, oh, mom is, mom is on a mission too. You know, she's not just, um, you know, going to be a movie star, you know? So Gigi, where's the best place people can watch the film right now? Where's the best place? Yeah. Um, well, if you go to runningthebasesmovie.com, you can see uh, where it's playing right now, where it's streaming. Um, the DVD will be out soon, so you can go and pre-order it. There's a bunch of different places you can pre-order it. I know you can do that on Amazon, because I did. <laughs> I went and bought my pre-order. So yeah, runningthebasesmovie.com. We appreciate it. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks, guys. Okay, Thank you. you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley's show. Also live celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. I can't wait to speak with our next guest as well. Yeah, exactly. And find out what the bottle is for getting a New York Times bestselling book and how as a creator she was able to do it. Mackenzie Lee is our guest and she is a three-time New York Times bestselling author, author of Winter Soldier. Mackenzie, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So what is it? What's the special sauce to get become a New York Times bestselling author? You know, there are so many and I'm sure you see this every time you do signings. So many people that want to become you, Mackenzie. They want to have that success as a writer, know that specifically that that this can be their profession, something they can do. And they try so hard with great ideas or write different things. What makes it think was your secret sauce to get to where you are? Uh, so it's a blood pact with the devil under a full moon. Um, no, uh, I mean, the secret sauce is, is being in the right place at the right time in a lot of ways, which is not a super helpful answer, but I've found the, the, the best thing in your career is just being ready when it comes. Um, and having done the work and put in the work so that when someone shows up and says, Hey, I have a contract with Marvel. Are you interested? You say, yes, I, I have the, I have the credentials. I have the work. Let me send you some writing samples. Let me send you my resume, like being ready when the moment comes for you. Cause so much of any creative industry is just luck and timing. And unfortunately we can't control those things, but you can be ready when they come. Winter Soldier. The, the, the book works more with the comic canon. Um, the, and, and it takes place much, much earlier in the timeline. It's set in 1941 and 1954, as opposed to the Winter Soldier television show, which I believe is set uh, modern day. Oh, cool. And how do you have your credentials, you said, for Marvel, that they liked your work? What was your work before that that came out? Um, I wrote a historical fiction novel called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. And when this series got, when my, my book series got greenlit at Marvel and they were looking to hire um, a writer, they just, somebody happened to be reading that at the same time and said, I really like. Mackenzie and I like her stuff and her style and let's maybe see if she's if she's available so cool good great oh, that's really yeah. great that's fantastic so what projects are you working on now uh taking a break <laughs> I wish I had a more exciting answer but right now I'm 
I've just wrapped up this series. I wrapped up another series last year as well. And and right now I'm just uh, kicking back for a little bit, taking some time to sort of regenerate, regenerate. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like Doctor Who. Just to just to sort of rest, you know, and rest my brain and and let it let it percolate with some other ideas and get caught up and start thinking about other things. I often find I I get my best ideas when I'm not trying to get an idea. Just have to sort of leave it alone on the back burner. So when you think about specifically enough the the whole process that took place, how long did it take to write this book? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Um, I wish I could give you a date, uh, probably about two years total. Um, when you talk about from sort of initial, initial conversations I was having at Marvel, where I was sending them proposals, sending them synopses, having conversation with conversations with them, where we were going back and forth about sort of existing canon and how I wanted this to fit into it and what other people were doing and, and how I could not conflict with them and all of that. So, um, probably about two years though, not two years of just steady writing. It's a lot of like you outline and then you think about it for a while and then you get feedback on it and then you think about it and then you write for a little bit and then you, somebody else reads it and then you adjust. So it's, it's not just like a constant stream of two years of writing. Okay. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, when did you start writing? Like how old were you? I mean, I've, I've always written. I, I was a fan fiction writer when I was a kid. I wrote a lot of really uh, terrible poetry and uh, novels when I was like nine and 10 novels in big air quotes, to be clear. Um, and just never thought of it as something I could do professionally until I I got to college and I was going to be a history major. I was a history major. I was going to do a history PhD and had a professor sort of gently redirect me and say, like, if you want to write academic papers, you can't be writing dialogue for Richard the third in your papers. And if you want to do that, maybe you should think about writing, writing fiction. That's that's so true. And so when you talk about uh, your, the three books you've written for Marvel, is there a favorite or you have, you enjoy all three of them as much? No, they, I can't pick a favorite. They've all, they've all been interesting and different and they've all been challenges. And I really, truly feel like I hit the jackpot with the characters I was sort of assigned to write. They're all such interesting, great characters. And, and there's things about each of them that I really love and things about each of these books that stretched me professionally as a writer. And I'm just, I'm happy I got to do them all. It sounds like a diplomatic answer, but it really is true. I, no, I really, I, really love them all. That's what you do when you're in, in a tour is, is, is diplomatic in certain ways of answering them. <laughs> no, it, trust me. If I had a favorite kid, I would tell you. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a good one. That, that's not a good thing to do. It's to say that, right? It's say, oh, my favorite, you know, that's a, a, being diplomatic as well. Um, it's not in front of the other kids. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I'll, I'll have to I'm cover, like, I'll cover the other book series. Now you would probably get upset by fans of certain Marvel series, right? By you talking about it. So if you brought up this one, I like better than this one, you're going to be dealing with a lot of things on social media because it's amazing the fan base of Marvel, right? Especially certain yeah, series. Yeah, the, the fan base is enormous. Thankfully, I think the movies cast such a big shadow that I I I generally fly pretty under the radar. I think the most I I got sort of the the I don't want to say crazy. That's not a very flattering word, but the most sort of enthusiastic and single-minded fans I interacted with were around the character Loki. Um, the other books have been, have been much, much calmer in terms of the, of, of the fan response. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, what, what advice would you have to, uh, you know, a youngster who thinks they may want to write, you know, as you said, they wrote some poetry in school, they kind of go off in their imagination. They, they like it and 
So on how how would how would you give them some advice on developing that? Uh, you have to think of writing as any as a skill like anything else. We don't sit down at the piano and immediately expect to be able to play Tchaikovsky. We know that we have to practice and we have to to work and develop our skills and muscles. And we have to learn. Um, and and writing is the same way, but we often don't think of it that way. So the things I would I would say to young writers are are read a ton. Uh, identify identify authors you really like, um, figure out why you like them, what they're doing that you would like to do well, um, start out by emulating them and and just sort of copying them and copying the people you think are, are doing great things and then figure out how to do it on your own and infuse your own voice. And and over the course of, of the process, you'll naturally find your voice, you'll find your stories, you'll find the things that interest you and the things that that make you stand out as a writer. Um, and also, I would I'd say one of the biggest things is is learn to develop a habit of completion. Um, I think a lot of people get really excited about an idea, and everybody I, I think everybody I, I know has one novel that they're like, I've always wanted to write this novel, and it's like, so why don't you? And it's often because <laughs> you get that idea, and it's great, and it's fun, and you're like writing, you're like, I'm a genius, and then you hit like the first snag at like five thousand words or whatever, the first like thing you didn't account for, and then it's hard, and then it's work. And then it's so much easier to either just bail on it or to go work on something else that you're like, oh, that other project I've been thinking about, it would never betray me and never, never get difficult. So I'll go work on that instead. And then the exact same thing happens. Um, and that like that, that actually finishing the novel is what, what 99.9% .9 of people can't do. And if you can just get over that hurdle and actually finish things and see them through to the end, you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of most people already. Mm. How so? And that's the process of how do you get out of, of finishing and completion. I love that tip uh, because people have ideas. I want to write a book myself, and I'm like, okay, I got to start by just blogging. As I got some good advice about that, I'm I'm not going fiction. I'm just going to write about some of my expertise when it comes into social media management. And I wanted to start writing the book, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start by just creating a blog, and then it's three weeks later, and I'm not started. So that that's the hard part is blocking out that time as a writer do you have specific time you say this is blocked out where i got to be in creation mode and i can't i can't have any distractions i have to no, find a I, place i used to, i used to be that way and then out of necessity when you find i've often found that the things i said i had to have in order to write which is like to be in your special spot and be wearing your special socks and have your particular kind of tea or whatever um those end up just becoming sort of crutches that you lean on and then they become reasons to not write. So then you, it's very easy to say like, oh, well, I don't have my special socks. So I guess I can't work today or, or whatever. Um, and they just become excuses for not doing the work and out of necessity, because when you're, when you're writing under deadlines, when you're writing on contracts, so when there's money on the line, uh, you often have, to, you can't afford to be precious about things. You kind of have to throw those things out the window and just be able to work whenever and wherever you have to. Um, so yeah, I don't have a ton of rituals surrounding it. I'm also not a writer who writes every day. I know some people have really strong feelings like Stephen King says you have to write every day. And I think that's kind of BS. I think it's about um, figuring out what works for you and what makes you the most productive person you can be. And everybody's going to be different. Um, and for me, I, I often think of trees and and uh, how we don't expect trees to be producing fruit all year. Um, and it's the same with with people is I don't think you can you can ask your brain to be producing brilliant ideas and to be producing content all the time. You have to give it time to rest and percolate and just sort of think um, and generate these things and grow. Very cool. Hey, have you ever been tempted or have you like when nobody's around, like fed some ideas into chat GBT to help you out, get started or when you get stuck? I don't know what that is. 
Oh, oh so God. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, good. You want me to explain? Okay, yeah, so, yeah. so so now it's the next Google. It really is. And I, I'm seeing specifically as I'm in this, it's it's over a million users plus. And it basically will give you ideas. It'll come up with specific things. It will do help you with research and it's much faster than Google and give you the ability to write a different blog. I think the AI technology now for somebody to write is off the hook now where you can basically record a podcast and take all that information. You almost have a, a book, then throw it into Grammarly and you're already on a phase that a lot of writers aren't able to, but ChatGPT will get you information. Hey, I need to find out ideas, the best way to do this. It'll answer it for you, put it out there AI wise and give you ideas and certain things. They would not, I think it's overrated in the fact when it comes to uh, really being creative. That's what I spotted when I wrote down. It looks like it's exactly what it's scraping the internet to come up with certain ideas, but it can help you with a lot of research and different things that Google can't come up very quickly with. And it's just like, it's a chat bot where you just type in one answer to something or find out something and go from there. So it's interesting. And you could find and create and find things quicker than Google. And that's the new feature, hey, write a blog for this on me or write this for me or do certain things. And it uses based on machine learning those answers. They tried it like five or six years ago with something, it failed, but now that's the next big thing. And people are just trying to get in there. And now people, they have a waiting list and it's completely free. It's called Jet GBT. So I, I hope I gave a good summary of it to you. <laughs> I don't know. I think that sounds like it takes some of the fun out of the process. I, for a writer, it would. I feel for it, no doubt. And I'm going to give you the good news is once you do that research of saying, hey, it's going to eliminate coaching, it's going to eliminate writers, it's sure as heck not. It's more, it's going to help people that are trying to get things quickly that would spend time on Google. People are utilizing it in another way, but I think that creativity, that you couldn't do certain things in Marvel or anything, AI would never be able to do that because it it's more, it's really just imagine, uh, you know, Will Smith's movie, right? iRobot and how they were answering questions and doing certain things that has come to us now in this process. Never thought I'd have that conversation, but it's an education that you at least know about it now. But a lot of people are doing that and utilizing that. But I did some things where I said, hey, you know, I'm going to say, how do you build a Facebook group? And I'm really good at doing that. And then I read it and I said, no, that blog is not giving me exactly the nuance. It's telling the what, but not the how. So that it's still the, the uh, technology is not there yet, but I'm seeing a lot of things like, Hey, it really helps people if they specifically want to have a better writing skills and they wanted to put the information and gets things edited. But Grammarly is doing the same thing in a lot of ways too. You notice that Grammarly is really changing the way if you want to the beginning editing phases. So, but the creativity, the ability of what you do as a writer, I could never do it. I don't have the patience to do it. And it's amazing what you do. That's for sure. Because you. the way you're able to create characters, create things, I don't think AI is ever going to do that. That's my thing. Greg, do you believe? Yeah, let's see a let's see a robot a robot be me. Yeah, that, robot. That, that's where you just make sure it's not copyrighted, not let that AI technology take it from you. That's where that that's where yeah. we're at. But it's purchase the book is good. It's available all all finer bookstores. You should, you definitely are, I'm sure, hoping they go to the independent bookstores to keep the lifeblood of that going. And is there a place people can find info yeah. on you? Um, MackenzieLee.com is my website. All right, Mackenzie, I told you it would be different than any other interview, but you got, we got to know more about you as an author and you gave some great writing tips. So thanks again. 
Thank you for having me. Have a great day, guys. All right. That's Celebrity you. Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Toss C3 podcast. We're excited. Welcome to the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic as well. And our topic today, again, we're going we're gonna to thank uh, the hackernews.com for it. Hackers pile of gold, your MSP's data. And what is MSP data, first of all? Well, let's start off with MSP is a managed service provider. Uh, that's an IT outsourced type of company that proactively manages your hardware, your software, your applications, a help desk, and can either augment a team that you already have or totally replace the team and become your full IT department. So that's the main thing. Now, the data of the MSPs are are plentiful, right? So what what does an MSP hold? Well, they hold not only the client's information in terms of their email address, their location, who they are and whatnot. But more importantly, they have all of the IP addresses as well as the username and passwords at the administrator level for every application, every server and every device that that entity owns. So think about it. Um, An MSP has total control over uh, a company's information systems at all levels from the PC all the way to the most uh, coveted data on the most important server for the custom line of business applications that they're running. That's not good because they're going to gain everything. And that means complete control of you if they're able Absolutely. To yeah. So, so what we're talking about here is it's called a supply chain hack. Uh, the first one was widespread publicly a, a couple of years ago. You know, the way time goes with COVID, maybe it was five years ago. I can't. It's hard to say, but it feels about a couple of years ago. And basically what happened is is uh, MSPs use a tool, a remote management or remote monitoring tool. And there are many different companies that have those. SolarWinds is a huge one that individuals use as well as large corporations. And they had a breach by not changing their password uh, on, on one of their uh, patches. So a patch went out, went took all the information and allowed them to get into every customer who was running SolarWinds. But these other ones, what happened is, is that, you know, MSPs around the country use, let's say I'll throw out a product, uh, Kaseya. That's a pretty popular one. And let's say that there was a a hack in Kaseya because there was a a hole because it needed to be patched and there was a security breach. And so they wrote an attack, the hackers, into Kaseya's tool. And then it allowed them to see all of the MSPs, to get into all of the MSPs portals all across the world and then have unfettered access to all of the usernames, passwords at the administrative level for every one of their clients. So it's like, instead of breaching one client, you know, why not attack one MSP and get access to a thousand clients? That's not good. And there's ways of no. protecting, protecting that as well. And then, and it's a simple thing that probably somebody was let in. This was an attack in Australia, but people make mistakes all the time. It's human error. No, totally. You know, it's, it's real critical that an MSP, you know, takes their own internal security super seriously. I mean, to give your, you know, the listeners, you know, something to, to ask them is, gee, are they SOC compliant, S-O-C? Are they SOC compliant? SOC 2, type 2 is the best. Now, SOC 2, type 2 means that not only do you have the controls, the processes, and all of the um, technology in place, uh, to be super secure and keep all your data safe, but they're actually can prove that they're using them in day-to-day businesses. So it's not just that they have it, but they're actually using it 
right? So that they're making sure that, you know, passwords are constantly changed, that patching, especially on these RMM tools at MSPs is constantly being updated, monitored, and managed. And somebody's watching the boards that they that they have a, you know, a, a, a security expert either on staff or that they outsource with who is keeping them abreast of all the changes and all the potential holes and issues that could uh, potentially bring them down and bring their clients down. Oh, wow. And the best place, again, you can get a call with you today is go yeah. work. Yeah. To work. I got an hour at four. Yeah. For- <laughs> go to tossc3.com. And talk to you today and talk to Greg Cannon. Greg will be able to break down things, be able to look at your business, look at what's happening and the concerns that you're hearing from this podcast. And you should be concerned because a lot of people are not, again, getting concerned with what's happening with our data and everything. And the, and we've got to have the best IT team impossible, possible. And that is definitely Toss C3. So I appreciate it, Greg. Hey, thanks, Dealey. Have a great day now. All right, that was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Toss C3 podcast. We're excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic today, Neil. How are you doing? Good, good. And this is an interesting thing to talk about is, you know, mobile bank hacks. Here's the situation that happens sometimes we don't understand is our banking information, especially for an individual you got to protect yourself. We talked about all these different things on the shows. And if we're not protecting ourselves and, you know, making sure that we have a, a password authenticator or all these different things, but that's one thing I guess hackers are really looking to, to get in fr- in, into your bank, right? Oh man. Well, let's think what are, what's the end result that most people want if they're a thief, right? They, they want the money, right? And where's the money usually at the bank, although maybe not these days, but Anyway, the ones in the zeros are at the bank. <laughs> the, <laughs> the virtual <laughs> money's there. Of course, you know, you really got to make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep your mobile platform secure, whether it be iOS or Android. You know, one of the easiest ways to do that is always make sure that you accept the latest security patches and you want to invest in two things, a solid VPN and you want to invest in a solid antivirus solution for that device specifically. And what it's going to mostly look for is malware, ransomware type of attacks, which basically you don't even know that they're on there. They're something that loads in and then sits in the memory and is looking for things like as you type in keystrokes, like it'll look for a URL at a bank. Oh, you're at a URL at the bank. So it wakes up and then you start to type keystrokes. Oh, username. Okay. Let's save that for later. Password. Okay. Let's save that for later. And then multi-factor authentication. Now, multi-factor and two-factor are so critically important, but they're not the holy grail. It doesn't mean that just because you have that, you're super secure. In fact, by using and capturing the result that you get from the bank, um, there are tools out there that will tell the hacker which platform of multi-factor authentication is being used. And then that allows them to reverse engineer an attack for next time. So now what they do is they have your information. Let's say they go to Bank of America, they log into mobile banking, they put in your username and password, they get the result because they've captured it from your phone, and then they put it into the translator and then boom, they're in. That's, yeah. Oh, man. So really these multi... Uh, third-party apps to you know help with multi-authenticators, uh, 
two-step verifications, all these different things are not going to be protected if they've gotten into your device already. It sounds yeah, like. it's not it's not 100% foolproof. I mean, in fact, there are simple hacks. I mean, a lot of people use like Microsoft Office 365 or Google Suite, these types of things, and they use multi-factor as well. But let's say that you opened up a phishing attack, didn't know it, you clicked on a link, and then it went dormant. You go, you go to log into Office 365, and it captures your, user, your, your username, your password, and your MFA that you enter. Perfect. Now with that information, they know how to present to you a fake Microsoft site that you now go to, and you can fill out this information. Now they have you, and you're done, because now they've got your real username, your password, and they know how the authentication works. So now they're inside your environment, they're in your email, you know, they're capturing invoices and getting customers to pay them instead of paying you. I've seen that a million times, especially over the last two years. Wow. And the, with those types of situations happening, oh man, it's not, it's not, it's not good. And so ways to protect, as you said, having an antivirus and a lot of people just don't have antivirus on their phone or they think that it's already there with their iPhone, right? iOS. No, it's true. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They think, well, well, just like it's, it's a Mac, it's protected, right? Uh, well, you know, a Mac Android phones are kind of based on like a, a Linux type operating system. And Linux right now is the number one target for ransomware attacks. There's a new strand out there. Don't want to get into it on this particular podcast, but there's a new strand out there targeting Linux systems specifically. That's not good. Oh my goodness. And are you hearing more and more lately that there are more in, in 2023, more and more attacks are happening and more and more hackers are trying to come into the, the more and more with the economy kind of getting ready to have a recession or more and more uh, criminals coming out of the woodwork? Yes, you know, it, it's kind of a an issue that started around uh, before COVID, but really escalated in COVID. So let's talk about real quick, the number one threat worldwide, globally uh, in cyber terrorism is ransomware. That's still the number one. It grew 500% in 2022 over 2021. It's estimated to grow 800% uh, over tw in 2023 over 2022. Well, here's what it's done, unfortunately, during COVID is that insurance companies do not want to really give out cyber security and cyber liability policies any longer because they got crushed uh, in 2019 to 2022. The reason being is everybody was home not thinking and clicking on everything and getting ransomware spread throughout all of their organizations. And then they actually had to pay out on all, on all of these insurance claims. And they don't want to. Their hope is, is that you pay the premium and they never have to pay you back. And they went upside down big time over the last two years. And, you know, check with other clients and, you know, think about it yourself if you're listening. You know, how easy was it for your company or yourself to get cyber liability and cybersecurity insurance the last time you went to renew? All right. And the best place to go is tossc3.com. You can schedule a call with Greg today. And Greg, again, this, these are concerns. But remember, when you're doing mobile banking, be very concerned. Make sure you have an antivirus software, a VPN. And if you have those things, hopefully you will not be hacked. But if you have any questions, call Greg if you think you've been hacked. That's for sure. And he will, you know, help you. So I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks, Neil. Have a great day. All right. That was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and we're highlighting entrepreneurs. And this one's so interesting. I have the CEO and founder of Sum Zero, Divya Narenda, 
Divya, thanks for stopping by. And, you know, when I think about specifically enough an idea like that, how did that come about? Because we know investors, we know they always are trying to figure out specifically what are the best bets, what to try to hedge on. Things change all the time, especially when the market's changing in ways. What made you want to start this company? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, Neil. Uh, so really quickly, I used to work at a hedge fund myself. Uh, I, I worked at a fund. Interestingly, uh, it was a spinoff of Harvard Management Company, which managed Harvard University's endowment. And uh, one of the portfolio managers left uh, HMC to launch uh, the fund that I would, you know, I joined. It's a fund called Sowood Capital. That fund managed about three and a half billion dollars at its peak. And then at the outset of the credit crisis in 2007, this was a year before the the market crash of 2008. Um, the fund ended up losing a bunch of money due to dislocations and um, kind of uh, the, the, the loan market, which we, we don't need to get into, but um, they ended up selling their assets or the majority of their assets to a, a very large fund uh, called Citadel, which at the time, which they used to be based out of uh, Chicago. Now they're, they're in Miami and New York. Um, but, it, you know, it was during that period that I kind of got to learn more about the public markets and um, not just stocks, but also bonds and and really the entire capital structure and, and, and how to structure trades and all that stuff. Um, while I was there, I realized that my boss, who is who is kind of the, the group PM or group portfolio manager, he would often call his buddies at other funds to diligence companies uh that he was interested in so you know like he had a large position in gm bonds it's like he would have a buddy at another credit fund that like also understood the gm bond valuation you know kind of like all the issues around gm bonds and um you know so i i found that oftentimes actual money managers were uh you know uh trading notes or, or sharing ideas with their peers at other funds and and they oftentimes paid less attention to what wall street had to say about a given uh company be it a stock or or uh you know some 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 uh you know some investment and um i, I found that interesting and i and i looked into it a little bit and it, it it occurred to me pretty quickly that wall street um you know if you look at your typical bank say at goldman sachs or jp morgan uh, they all have research teams research groups that issue research on companies. So Goldman has an equity research division that issues research on equities. So they have a fixed income research group as well for, for bond research. The problem with those with that research is that the analysts who produce that research, uh, A, they don't have any skin in the game. So, you know, if you read a Goldman Sachs research report that urges you to buy snaps, Snapchat share, shares or Tesla shares or whatever, you have to keep in mind that that analyst doesn't own those shares. So if he's wrong about that recommendation, he doesn't lose any money. Now, um, on the flip side, if he's correct, he also doesn't make any money. So it's like they're somewhat divorced from the underlying risk of investing in that in that way um, by not having skin in the game. Now, the more problematic issue is that these Wall Street shops are, you know, offering research on companies that are uh, their own clients. So, oh, you know, yeah. again, so if you're, if you're, if you're reading that Goldman report or that JP Morgan report about 
Twitter or not Twitter is now private, but but whatever, Google or something like that. You have to keep in mind that Google is a client of Goldman Sachs. So and then all these banks. So, you know, if you if 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 Google wants to raise, you know, a, a, um, a $10 billion slug of debt, who are they going to call? They're going to call Citi. They're going to call JP Morgan. They're going to call Goldman, you know. Exactly. Um, and so what happens is that even though the investment bankers that help these companies raise capital are on a different physical floor than the research teams. Um, and even though there's supposed to be a Chinese wall, the reality is that Wall Street research analysts never say anything too negative about companies. Um, and, you know, one great example of this, if you look at, for example, in, in the news, there's been a lot of headlines about Tesla, um, which was, you know, a rocket ship for the last decade. Right. But in the last year, um, you know, I think at its peak, kind of peak to trough fell like 70%. And yet Wall Street was still sanguine on the name. And like, you have to ask yourself, like, how is that possible, especially against a really negative macro backdrop where the Fed has been hiking rates incredibly aggressively? You would think Wall Street would kind of wake up and be like, okay, here's a stock that's trades at a really high price to earnings ratio um and is facing enormous competition from the likes of all of the major auto oems and the fed is is undergoing this you know incredible rate hiking cycle like this if any if there was ever a time to short tesla this would be it and of course that's not what that was not the the sort of uh the narrative coming from wall street um, but if you talk to analysts who work at funds for example folks who might be on some zero um sharing their ideas on tesla they're almost universally negative about the name and uh, I think it's important if you're an investor to just know, like, what are both sides of the story? You know, what, what, are, what are the risks? Um, you know, what's the bull thesis? What's the bear thesis? And what's great about SumZero is that, you know, over the years, you know, after I, was wor after I worked at that hedge fund, I launched SumZero, um, called all of my friends who were what we call buy side analysts, folks who work at funds, not Wall Street analysts, but, but folks who work, who actually manage money and do have skin in the game to join the community and to share their research, their their own proprietary ideas on the platform. Um, today we have over 20,000 members globally, all of whom are, are vetted. And um, there's an enormous uh, repository of, of ideas. And every day there are new research ideas that get posted. These ideas cover, um, the majority of these are ideas are stock ideas. There, there are bond ideas. There's some crypto ideas in the mix, mostly equities. Uh, majority North America, but there are quite a number of international ideas as well because our community is global. So we have folks in Asia and in Europe, et cetera, and as well as LATAM. Um, and uh, there's really nothing like it. Um, and, and so as we've grown the community, we've grown the research database. And um, more recently, and this this is hopefully applicable to, to some of the folks in your audience, um, we've made the research itself available to non-professional investors. So oh, if you're if you're an individual investor, um, maybe you have a Charles Schwab account or a, an E-Trade account or a Robinhood account, um, and you're just interested in learning, like, okay, what do actual professional money managers think about, you know, stocks? Right. You can read their research on some zero in the same way that an analyst or a portfolio manager from Fidelity might have access to, 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 the, to this research. So we've basically, you know, um, spotlighted this, what used to be a very dark and opaque world um, and really opened the kimono on 
all of the work that's being done by professional money managers. And it's, um, it's been great to see, you know, I, as an investor myself, like I, I always learn when I read other people's ideas and, and try to understand their thinking um, and marry it with my own thinking. Like everyone obviously has their own views on the markets, but a lot of times you miss things like, you know, uh, you, you might, you might notice that, Oh, like I didn't realize that um, whatever meta was, was uh, one year away from releasing um, AR glasses that could potentially replace the cell phone. Like what does that imply for oh, their wow. future growth? Or maybe you didn't realize something about, I don't know, the way um, like the moat around Google search business, because you just, you know, like it's not something you necessarily spend all your, your days and months thinking about, like, but that's what people think about within our community. And so we're trying to bring a very differentiated sort of set of content to the world of, of investing. Um, yeah. And um, it's you know, so I, interesting I, because I didn't know much about this. I mean, I know about investing, meaning I watched Madoff on uh, Netflix and learned even so much more or more about specifically. Well, I mean, he was he was a fraud, so that's not fraud. But, but meaning <laughs> like, but how other competitors were looking at this and the challenges of trying to make their clients money and seeing all these things. These with that, I learned certain things yeah. of what was happening in this. And how Wall Street works and things like this, you're bringing these experts availability to the average person that can now see this network you've built to give information that probably is not available many places because of the yeah. And, and and to to be clear, um, what's what's important to note about the research on the platform is that it's fundamental in orientation. So when you go on some zero and you read the content on the platform, you are not reading somebody you know, uh, proclaiming that a stock is over or undervalued based on some chart right. that he looked at. And, you know, it's not like somebody's look like, oh, this stock just just crossed its 250 day moving average. Therefore, you should go buy it or, oh, um, you know, this stock is displaying a head and shoulders pattern. That's, uh, you know, means whatever, you know, that is not what some zero is. What 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 the what the the analysts on the platform are, are kind of going through is this exercise of doing a deep dive, a deep fundamental dive, very like Warren Buffett esque, into a given company to understand um, what are the you know what are what are the what are the forward looking cash flows going to be for that business and how do we discount those those cash flows? What interest rate do we apply? What are the catalysts that are going to unlock value over time? Um, you know, is there a spinoff situation that could unlock value? Is there some kind of, uh, you know, maybe there's um, a legal or regulatory catalyst that is important that's not being factored into the stock price? Um, you know, what's the variant view, right? Like what, what, what does the market not understand about this company that, that, that I, the analyst might understand? And it's, it's putting that down on paper um, and making it available to, uh, you know, to, 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 to consumers. And, and a lot of people ask me like, well, why do, why would somebody do this? Right? Like why would somebody share their research on, on a platform like this? And it turns out there are many reasons. So I'll, I'll go through those because I think it's worth the exercise, but one of which is the, you know, unlike wall street analysts, some zero analysts, they do have skin in the game. So they actually own what they're, you know, they're eating their own cooking, right? Like if I go on some zero and I say, I think, meta shares are undervalued by a hundred percent, meaning I think it could double 
or or more than double over the next two to five years, say. Um, you know, I'm also going to state up front that I own the shares. So I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying like, oh, you should, you and your grandmother should buy shares of Meta. But by the way, like I don't own a single share. Um, like, no, for me, it's a meaningful position. And and that's true of any, any, any idea that someone posts on the platform, they, they're going to have skin in the game. Um, and I, you know, I think, uh, as a result, like the analyst can act as their own catalyst because if enough people buy into the idea, now this is especially true for small cap ideas. So for example, you know, if you look at, um, maybe a company with a market cap below $10 billion or $5 billion, certainly $1 billion. If enough people read that content they're like, Oh, you know what? This person is right. And we didn't realize that whatever this space technology company has all these things going for it. Um, and you know, the reason can often be very straightforward. It could be that those smaller companies just don't have any research coverage. Like nobody knows about them, right? Like if, if you haven't heard of black sky technologies and it turns out that they've got an incredible growth runway ahead of them, like, you know, you might, you might miss the opportunity to, to, uh, avail yourself of, of incredibly high returns on a stock that's not talked about on CNBC, that's not talked about mm -hmm. on any of the Reddit platforms, like people don't follow it. Um, and that's where we come in because there's an enormously long, long tail of names that are just people don't know, follow, don't understand. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're an enterprising person and you do the, if you do your homework, like you can get up to speed on those stocks. And, uh, uh, you know, if you're an analyst, you own the name, you want to tell the world about it once you have a full position. So that's kind of one of the reasons why you'd be posting. And then beyond that, for a lot of our members, um, by posting research on SumZero, they're also building a track record, right? They're building a brand. Um, so if they want to go ahead and raise capital, um, you know, there are many institutional allocators on SumZero, university endowments like like MIT and, and, and Vanderbilt and so on and so forth. By building their track record on the platform, like they're more likely to be able to raise funds from those types of allocators who are, who are able to evaluate them, not just on like their returns, but their their philosophical thinking around investing. Um, same thing with recruiting. If you're looking for a job, and uh, you know it helps to to have a track record on some zero because you can you can say like, okay, well here are five ideas I've posted. Here's here's kind of how those ideas have performed. Here's here's how those ideas have been rated by the community, and it starts to really, I think, supplement a traditional resume. Um, and so an employer can look at that and be like, oh yeah, we want to interview this analyst. Um, we think they're smart. We like their ideas. Impressive. That's impressive stuff you're building. And did you didn't think that was from the beginning? You were looking at a group of people together to share ideas, and it turned it's turning into opening it up to the public, which has got to be an exciting part of your company right now. What's yeah, you know, we're, we're, um, we're definitely not the best marketing uh, outfit. Like we're not like, um, we tend to be pretty conservative about how we like talk about the business. Like we, we are not the pump and dump scheme. Like if you go on YouTube and like watch some of these investing channels, and it's especially bad with crypto channels where like people are kind of just like, they're just, they're literally just pumping things without any real like it's, it's clear they haven't done that much homework into a lot of these, a lot of these, these things that they're, they're pushing. Um, like we don't 
are, are, are like we just we don't do that um so we don't make promises about oh like oh you're gonna you're gonna crush the markets or what like that's not our mo but um no i think if you're if you're interested in like fundamental sober analysis that's deep you want to come to some zero there's there's no place like it uh, you know it's it's it is like the opposite of twitter which is obviously also quite popular for finance folks um but you know twitter is like this fire ho hose of noise like everyone thinks they're a genius and they're all pundits um but you know the format of a tweet is like 140 characters and it's like one soundbite after another Th that doesn't like give it give the um you know the, the 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 author enough room to really defend a thesis uh which is what we're going after on on our platform is it's like okay you've got a price target we get it you're long you know a certain stock or you're short a certain stock but it's the why that matters right it's it's like okay now explain to me like you know how you reach that conclusion and like let's really dig into this what also it helps the members as well network with other members to learn from them and become better analysts, right? Would you agree? Correct. The networking okay. aspect is great. What happens is if you um, connect with somebody on the platform because you're you're interested in a stock that they wrote about or or maybe that you also cover, well, now they're part of your, you know, like maybe they're not a friend, but they're in your professional network. And, you know, maybe it just so happens that the person that you spoke to, um, you know, about um, some home builder, um, happens to follow another home builder, right? Because it's in the same industry or whatever, and you can you can extend your conversation to that other uh, competitor. And and I you know I think that happens all the time, where somebody's like, oh, like you know you uh, I see you're long Google, like let's talk about Microsoft, and they probably cover Microsoft as well because it's all they're all competitors. Mm -hmm. um, so the the networking thing is important, um, and it's also great again if you're trying to fundraise. Um, or if you're recruiting, like then obviously yeah. networking becomes even more critical that you know folks. There's a lot of information that I've learned today in this broadcast. Where can people find more about SumZero? Where can they go? SumZero.com. Very easy. Uh, the, the homepage, I'm, you know, is pretty self-explanatory. There's like a, there's a big join button that that you can click on, and and the way we run our 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 um, sort of onboarding is we let members i like sort of self-identify what type of investor they are so you know again whether you're an individual investor or a professional investor um or some other kind of investor you, you can you can just let us know and then the site will channel you to the right um sort of uh corner of the website so <laughs> you're, you're you're getting funneled correctly all right well we appreciate it it's great information awesome thanks neil Take care. We're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show, Media Giant Effect, and Growing Older with Enthusiasm with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Dr. Ron, how are you? It's amazing who we've been able to talk to so far in this community and how we're learning so much more about what's out there as your you know first center and some of the conversations you're having to end the year that you're going to be doing a lot of things to help the older adult community dr ron must feel great yeah it's really exciting especially given the fact that every day we get more and more people who enter our community uh reaching that age uh and so i know we're having a really special guest today to add to our lineup really excited about it 
All right, so introduce our guest. I'm, I'm excited to talk to him as well. Okay, well, our guest is Professor Andy Carl, and uh, he is a multifaceted individual who's done great things uh, working in the older adult community, uh, both with active adults and, and people who are starting to slow down. So um, as I see your background, Andy, I see Georgetown University.